Welcome to this special Capital Economics Weekly Briefing episode all about the SVB crisis. It contains some of the key excerpts from an online briefing for clients with Group Chief Economist Neil Shearing, Chief US Economist Paul Ashworth, and Chief Global Economist Jennifer McKeown. The briefing was held at 9am New York, 1pm London on Monday 13th of March. That's after the joint intervention from the Fed, the Treasury and the FDIC, but just ahead of the US equity market open. Starts with Paul Ashworth talking about how this crisis could affect the Fed's appetite to hike interest rates. Uh, I think the economic data takes a backseat at this stage. It all depends on market confidence and whether the Fed's actions and the Treasury and FDIC's actions calm markets. At the moment, that's difficult to tell because things are swinging around quite so much. Even over the last hour or so, we've had the probability of any rate hike at next week's meeting going from above 50% down to at one point only 20% and then back up towards 50% again and swings correspondingly across the yield curve. So it's very difficult to say at the moment. Key parameters, I guess, are one, does this stabilise the financial system? If it does, then we get back to the economic data and that begins to take on importance again. And even if it doesn't, then you're right. I mean, if things get bad enough today, if the Republic goes under, other banks begin to come under pressure, then there's a possibility that we'll see an emergency rate cut as soon as today. But even in, even in the best case scenario now, where confidence returns to some extent in the banking system. I think there will be a lingering effect and certainly it will make banks less willing to make new loans, for instance. So I think we're going to see a marked tightening credit conditions within the banking system. And that obviously is going to have a knock-on impact on the real economy. So it increases the chances we get a more severe downturn later this year. So I think in that respect, the markets are right. This reduces the chances that the Fed will be hiking rates at all over the remainder of this year and increases the chances that it could be cutting rates before the end of this year. I mean, as things stand now, Fed funds futures currently have between 50 and 75 basis points of cuts factored in for the end of this year, which is obviously a very big mark turnaround from where we were a week or so ago when it was, you know, as much as 75 basis points, if not. 100 basis points of additional timing for this year. Yeah, I'll point out since you're too modest to do so, but that's more in line with our forecast. We've had the view for a while that uh, the Fed will still be cutting at some point later this this year. But you're right, it's a it's a crazy week when it starts with Powell telling Congress that the strength of the data might require an even tougher policy response and ends with, with two mid-tier banks collapsing. We've had some questions about how important regional banks are within the US system, which I'll come back to. But Jenny, let me turn to you because we've had lots of questions about contagion risks, a couple in particular with respect to the UK, some with respect to banks in Europe, but just walk us through kind of contagion risks for, for other banking sectors from what's happening in the the US? How do you see the landscape unfolding? Well, there are a few points to make on that, essentially, and, and some of them are, are sources of, of comfort. First, the collapse of 
SVP appears to have been due to idiosyncratic issues, really specific to that bank, large unhedged interest rate risk, large exposures to the tech sector, to cryptocurrency, which not necessarily mimicked elsewhere. I guess the second source of comfort is that while SVP wasn't subject to the Fed's stress test, similar banks in Europe in particular would have been, despite the fact that SVP had assets of over 200 billion, it, it was not included due to some easing of criteria over recent years. But the European Banking Authority, it stress tests 70 European banks covering 75% of, of banking assets. And it includes nearly all banks with balance sheets of at least 30 billion euros. So it's so much smaller than, than the size of SVP. So that's a point of comfort. Also, overseas subsidiaries of SVP are, are, are relatively small. And as we know, one of those has already been bought by HSBC in the UK. So in terms of the direct channels, there, there are reasons for comfort. But of course, the main channel of, of contagion, the main point of concern is, is the threat of a loss of confidence in the system as a whole. That's, that's far more difficult to pin down. But the, the key point to stress, I think, is that central banks have a lot of tools to manage that, to manage these liquidity risks, which are more prevalent than solvency risks, are, are likely to be in the coming months. And We've already seen the Fed acting very strongly with those tools to try and stem any contagion to the US banking sector. And you would hope that other central banks elsewhere, including the ECB, the Bank of England, would do something similar if conditions in, in the coming days warranted. Yes, another big difference with the situation with Lehman's, isn't it? This crisis apparently being driven by problems on the liability size of banks' balance sheets and central banks being having more tools at their disposal to be able to deal with that than it's a solvency crisis, someone's going to bear the loss if you're going to bail that institution out and then that becomes a political decision fall. Um, I mentioned earlier we had some questions about the importance of regional banks within the US system. How important are some of these institutions from a, from a macro perspective? From a macro perspective, they're crucial. I was just looking up the data. I mean, in the US, while banking systems are very concentrated in many other countries, in the US, there were 4,127 commercial banks, FDIC-insured commercial banks, as of the end of 2022, and a further 579 savings institutions, so a grand total of 4,706, which gives you a flavour of exactly how fragmented the banking system or unconcentrated the banking system is in the US. And it's always been that way. I don't think that's going to change. I think small and medium-tier banks are going to remain very important conduits for credit for small businesses and households serving the agricultural sector, real estate, etc. Uh, I don't think any of that's changed, although we've had other questions about regulation of those banks. And certainly I would expect those banks to come under close regulation um, to some extent. Jenny, there's a good question here about moral hazard. Obviously, the, you spent a lot of time in the early stages of the global financial crisis in 2007-8 debating moral hazard problems and bailing out banks and bailing out depositors and would it store up problems for the future. And obviously, the flip side of, of staunching financial sector risk is often that you accept a degree of moral hazard. Um, is that, the, I mean, the, the, the question really is, is that part of the, the policy calculus now or has more or has it just gone out the window as a consideration, given what we've learned about how devastating the consequences of financial sector problems can be for the wider economy? 
Yeah, well, I think central banks certainly seem to be be learning from their mistakes and perhaps focusing on on moral hazard first and, and shoring up the financial system later and that the, the Fed's action. And I think particularly this guarantee of larger deposits it, it is a big sign of that. It, it, it's clear that some of these rules have been torn up to, for the time being. And I think that does pose a moral hazard risk, but something to be considered later ra- rather than immediately. The key at the moment was was to stem the risk of, of financial contagion and to bring back confidence. But, but in future, yet more regulation is going to be needed to, to make sure that these kinds of exceptions don't need to be made in future. The stress test will need to be broadened to include banks similar to SVP and other oversight will, will need to be strengthened. Again, I think perhaps it's been a mistake to roll back some of that. That's something that need will need to be considered. But for now, I think moral hazard very much on, on the sidelines while banks attempt to stem the risk. And just finally, final question here for you, Paul, about the competing pressures on, on central banks. And this is something we've just been discussing, isn't it? On the one hand, they're trying to stamp out inflation. On the other hand, they're trying to do that while maintaining financial stability. And the question the question is asking for it. Basically, if if we get more banks falling over, what does that mean for the for the fight against inflation? Can policymakers tighten policy by more if they need to, or will they have to will they have to take a back seat to financial stability concerns? How do you see those two things trading off? Well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. If more banks fall over and financial stability continues to be an issue, then that will have a severe knock on impact on the real economy. It'll damage confidence, it'll damage equity prices, asset prices. So there'll be knock-on negative wealth effects. Hugo sparked recently a full-blown, hard-landing recession scenario with the real economy too, in which case there's no need for the Fed to continue hiking interest rates because that will generate the needed disinflation anyway. Right now, what the Fed's doing is sort of counter to the tightening it's trying to do with monetary policy. I mean, for instance, just look at its balance sheet. On the one hand, it's going to be expanding the size of its balance sheet with these new loan facilities, while at the same time trying to continue with quantitative tightening, which is reducing the size of its balance sheet. So there's a tension there already. I mean, it, it, it all depends on whether this is over or just the start of a longer-running crisis. Because if it is the start of a longer-running crisis, then market pricing is correct. The Fed's done with raising interest rates. And simply just because of the risk that this is going to spill over in a negative way into the real economy. They might very well be cutting interest rates soon. But we need to be clear, it's still a bit too early to know that by the way for sure. That was Paul Ashworth and Jenny McKeown talking to Neil Shearing. You can get the complete recording of the briefing on our website, capitaleconomics.com, where we have a page dedicated to SVB with all our key insight. We're continuing to track the macro and market implications of this crisis, so keep an eye out for that coverage. And watch out for more podcasts, online briefings, and of course, our short and long-form written analysis all about the global monetary policy cycle and its impact on economies and markets. But until next time, goodbye.